Kings. All right, Peace Code Keepers. Man, we're back in the saddle. Minister Zumbi Shawala. What's good, bro? Peace. <laughs> oh, we're going to do something different tonight, man. We're going to make this uh, our Black Empowerment Weekly. You remember Tony John... Tony... What was his name? Tony Brown's Journal? Tony Brown's Journal, yeah. Right, 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 right. Uh, we'll, we'll do some weekly where we just kind of chat about what's happening in the news mm-hmm. and how it relates to uh, finance and how it relates to black empowerment. <laughs> Indeed. I like that cha-ching in the background, bro. <laughs> that's, that's, my, um, that's my Android, so. Okay. All yeah. right, cha-ching. <laughs> so this whole thing popped off uh, for me. When I was listening to Earn Your Leisure, mm, all right? Okay. And so during Earn Your Leisure, they were just happening to talk about things that were in, you know, in the in the news, in the ethos. Mm. Okay. And they talked about this conversation where mm. billionaire Bill Ackman, this guy here, mm-hmm. mentioned Dr. King, this guy here. Right and said that Dr. King would not be a fan, would be opposed, would be anti... I can't think of the word I want to say. But he said that Dr. King would be opposed to DEI activities. And matter of fact, let me go ahead and quote him so I can right. do it justice, all right? Mm-hmm. Now, I, did I say he was a billionaire? Bill yes, Ackman is a billionaire, yes. right? Okay. He, he, okay, okay, okay. All right, so during a uh, interview with Elon Musk, another billionaire, Ackman called the DEI movement an ideology that went against the tenets of Dr. King's 1963 I Have a Dream speech. Now, one of the things that I think is really important to note is that um, uh, we've talked about how people are taking Dr. King's speech out of context frequently all the time people are taking it out of context it's just it's it's crazy but dr king in 1963 gave the you know the eloquent extemporaneous speech that became the i have a dream speech and then in 1967 he recanted that and it's so interesting that these people who want to keep using dr king conveniently or maybe simply don't know that Dr. King was like, nah, let me take that back. Mm. You know, we were overly simplistic. I didn't really understand the whole thing that we were dealing with. Mm. Uh, you know, th- that Dr. King would take it back is interesting to me. But not just, you know, evil supremacy, but we continue to promulgate the I have a dream speech after Don. You know, Dr. King took it back, and so it's it's kind of interesting. I'm not surprised, but first he connects it with the "I have a dream" speech, mm-hmm. and then later, um, let, let, let's see. He says this: his dream speech is precisely about a world where people will be judged not by the con- color of their skin, but the content of their character. And when I came to learn about the DEI movement, which is an ideological movement, it's really the reverse of that, Ackman said during the conversation on spaces. I think Dr. King would be very opposed to this sort of ideology 
even though you know diversity is a good thing even though of course culture a culture where everyone feels comfortable and included is critically important so that's the important piece for Bill Ackman hmm. a culture where everyone feels comfortable and included is critically important a culture where everyone feels comfortable and included <laughs> who is this everyone he's talking about <laughs> huh well, all right well, let's let's put this in context okay the same america who wants to celebrate king was the same america that hated king's guts and still hated king's guts um, and and let's you know put this in historical context and timeline okay the only reason that white imperialism will celebrate king is because you didn't want to deal with what was behind door number two which was malcolm and the nation okay let's just keep it a buck here before malcolm came on the scene if you was down with dr king and the NAACP and you was participating in the, the freedom rides and things of that nature, you was considered radical, a pinko, or a communist. Wait, 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 wait. A pinko? What is a pinko? Well, those were the terms that were used to label those who participated, uh, even, even the term bleeding heart liberal was used if you participated in the freedom rides or if you were quote unquote progressive, if you were participating in, you know, racial politics of the 1950s, 1960s. Okay. So let's let's keep that in, in mind. When you go back and you look at Dr. King, when he gave that I have a dream speech, when you listen to it in its entirety and in context, it's really a reparation speech. <laughs> when okay. we come to Washington, we're coming to get that check. Now he said that before the march right. on Washington, but well, I think that's a good preference because right. he did say, "When we come to Washington, we're coming to get that check." Right? right. And the only reason that he went into the "I have a dream" part, uh, one of his closest friends, Mahalia Jackson, yelled out, "Tell him about the dream, Martin." And that's when he went into the litany about what his dream, or what I should say, his vision of America was going to be. Now, we leave uh, Washington, D.C., August 28, 1963. Look at the last five years of King's life and how he evolved. When he began to understand the connection of economics to what his fight was, he became persona non grata. When Lyndon B. Johnson talked about the war on poverty, King saw that the Vietnam War was taking away resources from the war on poverty. So when he spoke out against the Vietnam War, even though uh, Negro preachers was like, Martin, don't do that shit. <laughs> you know, his okay. own congregation kicked him out. You know, okay. it, it, it's, it, I think we should, we should be a more aware of that, that, you know, how do they say now? Sometimes it be your own folk. <laughs> right. Sometimes so, it be your own people. <laughs> so, so when so when King spoke out against the Vietnam War, because as long as King dealt within the confines of American politics, he was a safe Negro. But when he started going global, 
and he started connecting the dots about this um as john f kennedy called it this pax americana even eisenhower before he stepped off the scene says be aware of the military industrial complex and so when king spoke out against that and be, began to understand the role of economics in this and wanted a what he called a radical redistribution of wealth he was persona non grata okay by the time uh we lost him in memphis right right okay so we need to have a historical context as to what king was actually saying about wanting an america that was built on meritocracy but he understood he was up against a system that never intended to for there to be a level playing field because i think historically you and i have both seen when you level the playing field and you give african people a fair shot what happens yeah we rise to the occasion we okay. become the occasion right <laughs> so 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 when you see that look at what happened with japan okay you dropped two bombs killed a hundred thousand people but it but it within a 50-year period because you leveled the playing field it took japan only that long with the help of an american uh statistician to become a global economic force now all of a sudden you want to change the rules you're saying it's unfair so what is it about leveling the playing field that white imperialism fears i i, I say it's a disease and i i coined it the fear of a black planet syndrome mm. where anytime and when i say black i'm talking black brown red and yellow anytime you level the playing field and it becomes a pure meritocracy what is it about melanated folk to where we rise to the occasion now that we have a level playing field because really that's what king was advocating for is a level playing field and i think the uh statements made by the the hedge fund billionaire are a bit disingenuous a bit oh yeah a it's, bit it's a bit disingenuous because you think what, what what he's really asking for is bring back the good old days of white hegemony. Well, I, I think this is what we need to do in response to stuff like that. Mm, you know, okay. You know, when they they bring out the Doctor Quint the Doctor King speech, mm. you know, we need to say, okay, well, tell the whole story. <laughs> tell the whole story. Right. You know, and, and you know, Doctor where... King said. A society. Let me. I keep. Okay. I have too too large. I need to bring it down just a little more. All right. Um. Okay. So this is not. This is not working with me. <laughs> the page is not okay. The page. Okay. Let me let the whole thing shine. All right. Okay. A society that has done something special to the Negro for hundreds of years must now do something special for the Negro. Mm. So, and, in other words, Dr. King, that, that portion that you were talking about, reparations, Dr. Mm -hmm. King was saying that. A society because, that has done something special to the Negro right. for hundreds of years now mm. must do something for the Negro. That's and, something, Dr. King, and that flies in the face of his I Have a Dream speech because I Have a Dream speech says, hey, I see this in the future. Okay. Right? Because what King was doing is he was trying to play a morality game 
with a system and a people who have no conscience because well, you're dealing- I, I, I don't I don't know if it's fair to try to think for Dr. King. Well, what, what I'm saying is, is that he was trying to appeal to the moral conscience of a system and a people who had none. Okay, you're dealing with a system and a people who are morally corrupt and spiritually bankrupt. King was trying to challenge that. Okay, because he was always considered the the moral conscience of the civil rights movement. He became the human embodiment of that. And 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 that's where he was uh going, you know, with whether it was the I have a dream speech or other things because he wanted America he was looking for America to step its game up morally. Okay. And I always say, how can you ask America to get right with God when it's rise to power and its maintenance of that power came through the devil? Okay. Okay. You went where I wasn't going to go. <laughs> <laughs> you went where I wasn't going to go. Um, but I think it's important that we look at you know, the billionaire Bill Ackman's concern that a culture where everyone feels comfortable and included is critically important. But now here's the here's the thing we got to look at. OK. When we talk about this DEI game and we talk about inclusion, OK, inclusion by whom and 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 for what? See, when we get into this whole thing about inclusion and this and that, OK, you're still trying to set up a situation where those who are not white and or male, they determine who gets included. They determine how the diversity and how the equity and how the inclusion will go. Okay. So even the whole DEI premise is still based on a white paradigm. Okay. It's not based on, uh, as Dr. Francis Cress Welsing talks about, universal justice it's not based on that so dei is still rooted in white imperialism okay so the premise itself is still faulty and if you if you look at the language of, of what ackman says he says uh the dei and everything else like he says will be included but who's doing the inclusion is what you have to ask Okay. Okay. That's intriguing. Mm. Now, one thing that I think is interesting is that Bill Ackman, the billionaire's mm. comments are similar to sentiments expressed by other wealthy conservatives who evoke King's name and their thoughts about DEI. Vivek Ramaswamy, the Republican businessman who, I'm so glad, dropped out of the presidential race, says, I think, and he talks about DEI, I think it talking about DEI, desecrates the legacy of our civil rights movement, desecrated the legacy of Martin Luther King, that right when we get closest to of having racial equality to then obsess over systemic racism, then to obsess over white guilt and otherwise. Well, it sounds to me like he was trying to, uh, you know, win his seat. <laughs> I think he was trying to get the nomination. Um, and yeah. so, he, you know, he, he spoke to his, his base, but it's intriguing that those who have developed a lot of resources are now saying we shouldn't focus as much on diversity, equity and inclusion. 
And as I've thought about it, my friend, I wonder if we, we, capital W, capital E, Mm -hmm. should focus on inclusion or should we focus on us? Well, let me put it this way. Should African people focus on liberation or better treatment on the plantation? That's the question. Okay. And and in today's world, there's no middle ground with that. So do you want liberation or do you want better treatment on a plantation? And this was the whole Martin Malcolm dynamic that people, you know, during during their time was trying to figure out. You know, do we beg for inclusion or do we become maroons and we go and create our societies? Just like what was done in Jamaica, you know, when you create those maroon societies. What was done in Brazil when we created the Colombos, particularly Palmares. Okay. So that is still the age-old question. And, and we saw that get played out in the civil rights and the black power movement. What is it that African people want? liberation or better treatment on the plantation because not everybody has the same end game we even see that in the reparations movement well you know the good brother yamo says liberation okay liberation. and and um, and yeah oh, and the reason i bring that up is because that was a question that brother copley always posed to us what do you want because he said he had to question people in the reparations movement he says People in the reparations movement don't necessarily want liberation. Okay. So do you want to get free or just get paid? Well, if I'm paid, I can be free. Um. Well, but what I'm saying is it's, it's two different mentalities. Okay. It's two different mentalities because people who just want a check don't necessarily want to flip that check into real power. And really, this is this is really what what the underlying uh, article deals with. It's a power issue. It's what the Honorable Marcus Garvey says. Power is the only argument that satisfies man, because when you have power, you don't have to worry about whether or not you got friends. Okay, and and and, and, and this I, I is think that's one argument. of the concerns. I I I'm sorry to interrupt, oh, brother, no, no, but I ahead. do think that's that's the major concern for me. Mm. Okay. You know, so when I see so much of an emphasis on DEI, and I'm not opposed to it, I'm not an anti-DEIer, right. okay. you know, by any means. Uh, I do see that the anti-DEI crowd are very often anti-black. It's right? well, and then, the way I here's would my put point. It is, okay, here's my point. So if you can put mm. a pin in just about you, I know what you were about to. Well, I don't know what you were about to say, but I know the direction okay. you were about to go. And I <laughs> okay. think it's it, we need to go in that direction. But I do think that we focus so much on fighting the good fight for everybody mm-hmm. that we don't focus enough on our situations. And just like when you're on the plane, the good, you know, the gorgeous stewardess is going to tell right. you, "Hey, Save yourself first, and then you can save somebody else. Even if it's your child, put on your oxygen mask, and then put on the you know the oxygen mask of the next right. person. You know, so yeah. we got to save ourselves first. And very often, I think we here in America, 
the melanated, you know, the indigenous, the original, the right. black, the African-American, the Moorish, you know, mm-hmm. whatever term you want to rock with, you know, the copper skin, you know, what, whatever term you want to rock with. Because I know some people set trip and some people like myself are just not as concerned about identity as others. So I'm not bemeaning them when I say set tripping, but they're set tripping. Mm-hmm. Um, we have for in, in America's history, we've somehow made ourselves available to all other struggles and we haven't made ourselves as available to our empowerment well here's what we got to look at historically okay when we got dragged here as pow's we were basically cut off and isolated from other parts of the world so we basically had to take on this 800 pound gorilla by ourselves okay and i think sometimes there's a cadre of us because we have been we have been cut off you know we just want to be accepted by anybody and everybody who would pay us any attention okay can't we all get along now there's another group of us who basically realize okay as richard Pryor said when you go to court it ain't justice it's just us all right and that's when we had to take on this maroon mentality of what can we do for ourselves because ain't nobody coming to save us yeah yeah i'm glad you said ain't nobody coming to save us because very often we want to throw on the capes and be the superheroes i think for other concerns you know when the war in ukraine happened it's a horrible thing it's an evil thing the thing that happened to the ukrainian people was was just horrible right does that take a front seat or a back seat to our agenda our issues and our concerns here's where Very, i think you know here's where i think well, we get it twisted okay, okay. When the Honorable Marcus Garvey said race first, now for someone in the civil rights movement who was pushing for integration slash assimilation, okay, when you hear race first, you interpret it as race only. And I think or human Af- race. Well, what, what I'm saying is when 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 we said it, okay, when we say race first, when Kwame Touré stood up in Mississippi in 1967 and says we want black power, okay. Those who were in the civil rights movement feared that we were saying race only. No, we were saying race first. There's a difference. Okay. Until, look, I tell people this all the time. I don't care if Jesus Christ comes to your house first. He's not getting a plate before my child. And that's the mentality that we have to have if we are going to survive collectively moving into the 21st century and beyond that might be an extreme example bro i I think if (laughs) if i had a chance if i had a chance to serve christ you know i might he i might break his bread and then take care of my son because i know that he's going to take care of my son you know what i'm saying so that might be that that might just be a bad example and and that you you minister zumbi shawala for you i know you could do that (laughs) <laughs> but, but 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 the point the point that i'm trying to drive at is 
you know, everybody says that charity begins at home. That's what you, that's what everybody preaches. But say. practice that consistently. Okay. And that's why and, I said, I think we get it twisted when, when people hear race first, they interpret it as race only. That's why I said it's two different things. And, and, and they also interpret it as anti everything that's not black. Okay, so so I think once we understand when we say race first, because, you know, I heard Brother J X clan say this, is that when we come to the round table of power, we have to make sure that we come clean. We can't come dirty. We can't come buffoonish. We can't come coonish. Okay, because there's some house cleaning that we need to do amongst ourselves. So when we come to the round table of power, we come from a position of strength and value and then we can participate from a position of power you know i love how the cash machine every time you say something profound goes off (laughs) like message (laughs) message uh brother well so let's let's circle this conversation back so that we can you know kind of bring this to a wrap-up so the millionaire, I'm sorry, the billionaire, Bill Ackman, said that DEI would be something that Dr. Martin Luther King opposed, and he used the I Have a Dream speech as his evidence. You and I are saying, first of all, the billionaire is off base. But we're also saying, that we might be off base if we take up the fight for DEI and we don't fight for ourselves as much and as fervently as we fight for DEI. Mm-hmm. Are we in agreement? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. the thing, yeah, because the thing you have to understand is, um. What really has to happen, and that's why I said this whole, you and I have been on this planet long enough to understand that this world is ruled by one concept, and that is power. Okay. Do we have the ability to define our own reality and to ensure our collective biological survival? Okay. We have to ask ourselves that. Okay, and if not, then what do we need to do to ensure that we can protect ourselves against enemies, domestic and foreign? I'm talking about the African world community now. Okay, what can we do to ensure that we have food, clothing, shelter, safety, security, employment, and uh, access to quality, affordable health care? So what do we say to billionaire Ackmans and those of his ilk? Um, I'll give you the PG version. You can go to hell. <laughs> okay. You, and and you, how do we say that? Is that something that we say verbally or do we say it with our behavior? It, it has and, to be behavior. Okay, because it has to be behavior. That's why I said it has to be behavior. In other words, I think it I think Dr. Clark put it this way, the essential selfishness of our survival. 
Because, like I, I said, I, I'm so glad you say it has to be behavior. We've kind of developed a culture of commenting. Mm. I'm going to tell them off. I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. I'm going to, you know, type in there and I'm going to get them straight. Right. You know, I'm going to cancel them. Mm-hmm. But our behavior speaks so much stronger. Right. So with I that mean, being said, okay. You know, with if, if we're fighting for liberation, mm-hmm. uh, if we're fighting for our empowerment, right. our black empowerment, then we need to find ways that billionaire Bill Ackman might recant his position. Well, I don't even think, you know, whatever Ackman says to me is irrelevant. Okay. And the reason I say that is because look at, let's, let's take hip hop for an example. Okay. When the word came out from Timberland and other, other clothing companies who says we didn't make our clothes for those people. What did we do? We went and created what? Walker wear, Carl Kanai, Sean John, Fat Farm, No Limit Gear. Okay, so we didn't sit in the corner and say, boo-hoo, what did we do? We just went and took the resources that we had and we created our own. But were we going to do that anyway? Uh, eventually, yes. I don't know if that was, yeah, I don't know if that was in response to segregation well, or ignoring or saying you're not our target market. I don't know if that was in response to it. I think we well, were going to do that anyway. Yeah, but I think those comments accelerated the process. And we saw the same thing in the cognac industry when when the target market went from Asians to young brothers, 25 and under, who started making big money in the rap game. Okay? And there was a conversation that took place. I think it was, um, I forgot, one of the old old school cognac companies and they showed um the video of buster ryan's pascovassier in the corporate boardroom the old heads were like well we didn't make our we didn't make our uh product for those people the younger folks were like look at the numbers changed grapes okay so they realized and if you want to talk about uh power do you realize that we saved the cognac industry to the tune of a net profit of one one point five billion dollars a year, and this is going back Ooh, to yeah. nineteen eighty nine. So, if if we're able to save a drinking industry, mm-hmm. let's find a way to make a billionaire recant their statement. You know, let's find a way for either one of the major political parties. To say, hey, we're going to focus now on you. Let's find a way to make sure the crime is reduced. Hmm. If well, we I... can, if we can make cognac pop, if we can make Pastor Cavassier get real lit, we can light and we can ignite so many more other things. Then what I say is, then let's, as Dr. Claude Anderson says, take those resources aggregate them or as honorable elijah muhammad would say pool your resources to create your own uh economic power base okay in 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 the case of economics here <laughs> all right 
you know, my Android's agreeing with me. All right. So, but, I say. <laughs> but, but, but the whole, but the whole thing is it's about creating your own power base. You know, I was, I was telling a young brother, I said, it's not enough for us to say, teach a man how to fish. We have to go one step further, teach a man how to create a fishing industry within his own village. Okay. Okay. And, and with, with that being said, brother, yes. I want to kind of bring this to a close. Okay. Uh, this is our Black Empowerment Weekly, and today we dealt with DEI and the lie that would be king. We talked about the billionaire Bill Ackman and his comments against DEI mm-hmm. trying to misinform us by using the I Have a Dream speech to say that Dr. King would be against the DEI quote-unquote ideology. Mm -hmm. Um, And we furthered the conversation by saying we need to focus on us rather than focusing on a fight to uphold DEI. Right. And we ended the conversation with Minister Zumbi Shawala giving us some examples of us overcoming. So with that in play, I want to make sure that we walk out of here knowing who, you know, we've been spending time with. So Minister Zumbi Shawala is the author of The Gospel of Afronomics Theology. You can buy his book on Amazon or at yeah. your local melanated bookstore. Go ahead and show it off, brother. Show yes, it sir. off. You have so it? Here, here's our book, uh, The Gospel of Afronomics Theology. And what I've been doing, you know, in my absence, you know, I said that we have to go through a four-step process. And the four-step process begins with a philosophy. So we must go from philosophy to program, program to plan, and plan to process. This book, which took me, let's say, 22 years to put together, this is a philosophy. It's an African-centered economic philosophy for the 21st century and beyond for African people, okay? And what I'm still working on now is moving us from a philosophy into a program. Because I think a lot of times we we work on developing the philosophy, but yet we don't move beyond the philosophy and begin to execute the philosophy by moving it into programs, plans, and processes. Hmm. Okay. All right. And, uh, you know, you talked about your absence. So I've been absent as well. Uh, One of the things that I've been focusing on in these few months is a documentary. So I have a documentary series that I've been working on. And I want to start sharing with you about this documentary series very soon. I'm so excited about it. We're getting ready to have our first screenings in my area here in Hampton Roads, Virginia, and then we're going to release it to the world. And so this documentary series is all focused on how we can make intentional generational change, how we can do something very different from our predecessors now that we know the way, now that we see the way, now that the way is opened in ways that our predecessors didn't have the chance to experience, right? Right, so the documentary is coming really soon. Uh, man, Doc, you made it to episode two. So 
<laughs> episode one is the bomb. Episode oh, yeah. two is going to uh, blow people away, and you get a chance to see Minister Zumbi Shawala in episode two. So, I'll give you more details as everything falls in place. But stay tuned. Any last words, good brother? Well, we are in tax season. And for those of you who do have my book, uh, make sure you turn to the chapter where I give this uh, 10-point tax refund plan. And really, you can apply it to any time you get a significant financial windfall. Because I want to make sure that that windfall you get when you file your taxes and when you get your refund, that it lasts you beyond St. Patrick's Day and lasts you beyond Easter. Because I made a prediction that the most money that will leave our community will leave between Black Friday and Easter. So we have to make sure that we re you know, we recapture uh, those lost funds that we lose between Black Friday and Easter. Dope. Uh, hey, one of our best viewers, one of the best people in the world, we love you, brother, says, I would love to further this discussion. Program, plans, and processes. Now, the great thing is, your comment is going into the hands of somebody who not only brings the receipts, but he brings the invoices. <laughs> <laughs> I used to say he doesn't bring the receipts. He brings the research. Now he's bringing the invoices. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so hey, let's, uh, let's further that discussion. Programs, plans, and processes. That'll be in one of the upcoming Our Black Empowerment Weeklies, I guess. Oh, yeah, because like I said, everything begins with a philosophy. If we go back... And Malcolm's Ballad or the Bullet speech is really where I got that from, where he says, before we have a self-help program, we need a self-help philosophy. And I just took a page from that because from an economic standpoint, we've got all these resources, but we're not rooted in an economic philosophy uh, that's based in a nucleus of culture, history, and spirituality. So once we are firmly rooted in the philosophy, now we can say what programs, plans, and processes we can begin to execute. And with that, peace.